This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Partner Hero. Partner Hero provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of small businesses and high growth startups. So if you've ever needed help with your data visualization work the way I do, sometimes I need someone to help me scrape some data or make a graph or edit a blog post, I use Partner Hero. They have flexible terms. They can help you scale quickly. There's quality assurance baked into every product and every program. And they have offices around the world, which can also help you with different languages and different nuance in your writing or your visualizations. So if you're ready to bring an outside customer support to help your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash policyviz to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from PolicyViz and they'll waive the setup fee. Welcome back to the Policy Biz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, which is the final show of 2022, I'm very happy to chat with Edith Young. Edith has written this really fun book called Color Scheme and Irreverent History of Art and Pop Culture in Color Palettes. We talk all about her background, all about her work, all about her excitement about color in art and in paintings. And then we also talk about how she actually got all of the more than 500 colors out of the different paintings and into this book. It's a really fun book. I mean, I'm not an art history person. Like I don't have any training or really any knowledge about art history as I admit to her straight up in the conversation that you're about to hear, but I really did enjoy this book. And it was really fun to go through all the color palettes and go through all the color shades. And if you're really interested in learning more about those color shades, by the way, I'm gonna have a separate blog post on policyviz.com that will give you the CMYK, RGB, and hex codes for all of the more than 500 colors in the book. So if you have the book and you like the colors and you wanna use them in your work, I've got them all sitting for you uh, elsewhere on the PolicyViz site so you can go in and grab them. So as I mentioned, this is the last episode of the show for 2022. I hope you have enjoyed all the various guests and conversations along with the show. I am so grateful that you spend every other week with me listening to folks working in the fields of data and data visualization and design, uh, different authors, different designers, folks doing amazing work in and around the field of data visualization. And so I hope you'll enjoy this last episode of the show for this year. I'll be back in January with a whole bunch of new great guests. So here we go, last episode of the year. Here is my conversation with Edith Young. Hi, Edith. Good evening. How are you? A nighttime podcast interview. Hello. Yes. I don't do these very often. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like post daylight savings. And so it's like dark outside. Like, I know. It's a little it's terrifying. <laughs> it's really not that late, but it feels like a nighttime episode. Policy of his podcast after dark. Um, definitely a different, different kind of show. So I'm excited to chat with you about your, now what, do you still call it a new book? Uh, it's now a year old. Yeah. Year old. So So I don't know what that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Toddler. Right. There's the toddler. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, really interesting book, especially I think 
folks who are into art history are going to get a ton out of it, which is not me, but um, I got a lot out of it and really enjoyed it, but I'm not an art history buff. So um, I think those who are like artists are going to get a ton out of it. So I want to ask you a few questions about, about the book and the background. And then I want to ask you a couple technical questions about itself. So maybe we could just start simply uh, just talk a little bit about your background and what led you to write this kind of book. Of course. Um, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I do not have a classic data visualization background, whatever that may look like. Um, I work in art and design and I went to art school, which is important because that's where this idea germinated. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically the sort of origin story for the book is that while I was at art school, um, you know, we would have these long studio classes and these critiques. And so my friend and I would go to the local movie theater to blow off some steam. And um, we saw one day this documentary, um, I think it was from 2011 on Dion of Reland, who was an editor for a long time at Harper's Bazaar and at Vogue. And she had sort of a grandiose, larger-than-life personality and said all of these um, very quotable things, um, mostly mm -hmm. about aesthetics. And so in the movie, they quote this excerpt from her autobiography where, I'm going to read it, um, she says, it's, I, do, I wouldn't dare misquote her, um, <laughs> she says, all my life I've pursued the perfect red. I can never get painters to mix it for me. It's exactly as if I'd said... I want Rococo with a spot of Gothic in it and a bit of Buddhist temple. They have no idea what I'm talking about. About the best red is to copy the color of a child's cap in any Renaissance portrait. And I thought that was very compelling. And I was sort of sitting in the dark theater thinking about how it was both like incredibly inexact and sort of ludicrous sounding and also kind of charming and true and how those two things could be possible at once. Right. Um, so then I, I was just sort of thinking about how you could sort of debunk and reinforce that idea at the same time in a color palette that draws from all of these paintings from the era that she's talking about, all these Renaissance portraits. Mm -hmm. And thinking about how, you know, designed out like a color chart uh, from Benjamin Moore or Pharaoh and Ball. And um, so I wrote that idea on my phone during the movie and then put it away. Um, <laughs> and then years, years later into you know, my school experience, I made this print of the reds of the red caps in Renaissance portraits. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, like stayed up late collecting all these paintings from that era and, uh, you know, trying to be very organized and, and then, you know, selecting these colors and putting them in this gridded array. So that was the, the beginning of the project. What drew you to that quote? Was it this idea of trying to obtain like this perfect color or was it the fact that there is no such thing? Like what, what drew you to it? Yeah, I think, I mean, in the print that I made it, there are 20 examples of these caps that she's talking about. And so mm. that, I mean, from that example alone, you know, there it's not, what she's saying is not possible. It's there's no yeah. such perfect red, but at the yeah. same time, like if, you know, if you have a little bit of familiarity with the concept she's talking about, you also know, you can kind of get a general sense of what you mean. So I do, I think it was sort of the duality of that, of those ideas um, mm -hmm. and like ho holding them both in your, in your mind at the same time. So, you know, like I said, I'm not an art history buff. Although as I was telling you before we started, my mom is, and my mom was like loving the book because it's this like, it's this just, 
I don't know how to describe it. Like the book, you kind of have this like whimsical combination of like these historical artwork. And then let's pull out this color, this color from each of these paintings. And I'm wondering when you think about your reader, what do you hope that they get out of? So I think it's a book that can work both for people who are kind of art history buffs and people who feel pretty intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my inspiration at the beginning was someone like my brother who is very smart and didn't have like a, you know, sort of the knowledge that I have about this subject and thinking like, how can I make it so that he would you know, be very intrigued by it and find a very accessible entry point to jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the palettes, you know, the palettes are, are each have their own page and can be enjoyed on their own as this isn't very humble, but uh, as their own um, piece of art, I think. Um, but ideally also, you know, it'll, it might trigger or um, pique the curiosity of someone who says, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really know what this is talking about. I don't, know why you know she's talking about this painter Wayne Thibault and why are there the greens of the garnishes uh Mm -hmm. you know throughout this page and so then you look up his work and that sort of puts you on a little bit of a a goose chase to figure out how this theme has emerged in his work and so I just like the idea of and, and I think color you know there's so much levity to color in most cases and so it feels like a really nice way to segue into this subject matter. Yeah. It's interesting because um, the way I hear you describe it is if you were to teach a class, an art history class, um, that it sounds like the way you would bring people into that is through color and not necessarily through form or curvature or, you know, the different types of painting that seems like color is just so accessible for people. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I think, I think, you know, a, a good teacher would teach you all of those things, but I think that right, that right, is sure. the, the, the angle right. that I've found that um, I haven't seen that's existed elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so how did you pick the spreads in in the book? Because there's, I don't know, uh, what, about, about 30, 20 or 30 different spreads. So how did you go through yeah. and, and pick those? I think, I think there are maybe 40 palettes in total and um, they're, they're very subjective. I mean, I would say, that I, I think the whole project is fairly subjective, and I think that's mm-hmm. a bit um, of an interesting tension to me, especially when it comes to data visualization, um, mm-hmm. which I can get into a little bit in a bit. But um, I think that it started off, they're really led by the titles of the work. So, you know, once once you're starting with Reds of the Red, Red Caps Renaissance Portraits, um, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a mouthful, but I think there is something a little bit, you know, a little irreverent and humorous about it. And I liked the idea of trying to find these other things that are a little bit like punchlines or zingers when you see the palette itself. So, mm-hmm. um, so basically, I mean, this definitely started as a conceptual art project and it was the system where I created these rules and then I had to find things that applied within my system of rules. And so, you know, sometimes that was like if I w- were at a museum and I saw a piece and it, sort of gave me this idea, I wonder if there are more paintings like this where they, I wonder what the wings of the angel in all the other Annunciation paintings look like or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it was, you know, a little bit more obvious to me um, what what someone might think was a little bit funny about uh, an artist's body of work. Right. 
Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say definitely through a somewhat personal lens of art that I like or art that amused me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the practical piece because this is the sure. question. My mom's going to listen to this episode and she's going to, she's going to give me a hard time about keep referencing her. But this is the question my mom asked and it's a question I had written down. So I can't give her full credit, but how did you build it? Because, you know, getting those, those, those exact colors out of a painting in real life into mm-hmm. digital print or into, into print, it's got to be not easy. Yes. So <laughs> it is and it isn't. I would say like I consider the process of this work m- much more about the idea and the research than ultimately the technical aspect, which I think is fairly simple if you, you know, admit to yourself that it would be somewhat impossible to get, you know, the perfect hex code of whatever Botticelli was painting with at the time. Right, right. Um, I'm a, and when, you know, hex codes were not even a right, glimmer right, in his eye. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I'm working on one that has to do with art history, I try to work with these images that are from the museum and are as white balanced as possible and are, you know, mm-hmm. directly from their art archive where they've been photographed with a gigantic Hasselblad camera. And uh, so that's, that's about as far as I can get with accuracy. And then from there, I would say I'm mostly, I'm like in an Adobe program and there's an eyedropper tool and oh, okay. I'm using that and going in and, you know, once you zoom in too far, there are so many reds in this one cap, but I am looking for, red that feels the most representative like it it feels like it would be sort of the average if you were to average all these colors together and also uh you know if you walked away from the painting what you would think kind of resembles what you saw if if it were just in your mind's eye yeah Yeah. oh interesting okay so so it's so practically it's the eyedropper tool that everybody has in their regular powerpoint tool or whatever um, but then th- this last part is interesting. So when you do that and you find the color, do you, did you kind of zoom all the way out and sort of have the painting on one side of your screen and the red that you chose on the other side of the screen is sort of like getting that feeling? Yes. I mean, it, right. Definitely. Sometimes it takes a few tries because I don't feel like I've accurately picked the right one, but, yeah. um, yes, I'm, I'm looking at them both at the same time. And did you feel in that process that you engage with the art and the artist in like a different way than when you're just looking at it on the wall. Cause you're diving in. It's like, you're like, uh, you're like the Ferris Bueller movie, like mm-hmm. in like real life. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I do. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I have like a, a, you know, a spiritual moment with the colors when I'm in the <laughs> working yeah, with yeah. them right. digitally. Um, but I think often like the surprises that I find are more so, especially when I'm proved wrong by an idea. So there was there's this one print that I referenced before that I I worked on after the book came out, but it's um, the Wings of the Annunciation. And that's a biblical scene that has been depicted in art history many times and is one of my favorites uh, as someone who learned a lot about religion through art history. Um, but I would say... I had this idea where, you know, I would pluck the colors from the wings. And then I sort of said, while I was making the book, it was on my list of ideas. And I said, well, it's going to be all white. I'm not sure that's the most compelling palette. I'll move on to the next thing. Um, And then I went to the cloisters last spring and I saw an altarpiece where they had Gabriel, the angel and his wings. And Mm -hmm. it was a totally different color than I would have imagined. And so then I went back to that idea and saw there like 
they're kind of these like groovy colors that everyone uses um, in that era because they're just, you know, it's what they envisioned to be happening in that moment and they can't draw from a photograph or something like that. So, so they were like incredibly modern colors that they were using. And so I think in those instances, I'm especially excited um, when it feels a little bit like a discovery made through the typology. Right. Right. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, did you, you've talked about a few that you really like, but do you, is there a, is there a favorite spread or a favorite painting or, or artist that Mm -hmm. you have? Um, well, one, one thing I think we haven't really talked about is there are a few, there's a kind of pop culture section at the end, which is both visual culture. And I would say there's a a real emphasis on sports. And so Mm -hmm. one of my favorites is the spread of um, Dennis Rodman's hair dye over the course of his NBA yeah. career. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, it's like, it's the only one that's two pages that there's, there was so much to draw from. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, I just thought that was so fun, but uh, in terms of artists, I mean, I, I it would, it's hard to narrow one down, but one that I love especially um, is named Alex Katz. He is a painter who actually his retrospective just, opened at the Guggenheim I haven't seen it yet uh and there's a little bit of a nod to him in one of the palettes which is of seascapes from the 20th century and I would say that's one where I played around the most with sort of the visualization format um where most of the palettes throughout the book are in this like square or rectangular composition in a grid and in this one they're these rectangles of the colors and they're organized Basically, they're all on the same horizon line, but they're in a different place depending on where the seascape's horizon is right. in that painting. Um, so I, that's my little homage to him because I couldn't really figure out how to how to fit him in. Otherwise, he's yeah. one of those paintings. Right, but it's also interesting to link it back as you were talking about earlier back to data viz because you're taking you're kind of taking color and matching it to a visual. You know, you're using the color to actually create a visualization out of these various paintings. When you think about color and you think about people making charts and graphs and diagrams, like do you look at color in a particular way when you see people like using a shade of blue in that graph in the Washington Post, you're like, ah, that's not the right shade of blue. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) sometimes, certainly with many things in the world, you think this could be more aesthetically pleasing. But but I also think, you know, they're trying to get an idea across in a, way that is pretty clear the thing that interests me about the way that these palettes do relate to data viz is that they're the format makes it look and i write about this a little bit in the book but the the format of a palette is sort of a very persuasive image like it it looks very factual it's just sort of like i think it's a fairly convincing visual and uh and i think that tension is interesting with this subject matter that is actually fairly subjective and very like very perception based Um, but I do, I think it does make an argument for, you know, how data viz can be such a strong kind of way of getting ideas across and possibly a little bit persuasive whether or not what it's telling is true. Yeah. So when you thought about organizing them aside from the seascape one, when you thought about organizing them, did you play with other layouts for some of the other paintings or was it just pretty natural? I'm going to do this as a grid because I've got X number of paintings in it kind of makes sense to do it that way yeah i think because they were mostly referencing the you know the color charts i think the the paint charts that you would get at the hardware store 
Um, I kept them fairly in line with that. I've played around with it a little bit since then, but I think they still, they're not far off from what you would pick up from your paint store. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I, it's definitely, the whole project has made me very curious about other ways of working um, with DataViz. So uh, there's, there's definitely a lot of potential. Yeah, absolutely. So when you envision your core reader and they're sitting down with this spread and they've got the paintings on the one side and they've got the, the boxes of the colors on the other side, how are you hoping that they're interact with that spread? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, you know, ideally everyone wants someone to look at their work for more than two seconds, but that's not, <laughs> not always what happens. Um, I, I do. I think it kind of depends on the the type of reader, but I do I do like the idea of it as a gateway. You know, of of that. I don't want to create a reading experience where you're constantly going back and forth between your iPad and looking at you know looking all these yeah. things up. But I think that I think you know kind of making a list of these things that interested you and then looking them up later and kind of delving mm-hmm. deeper into um, you know those artists and those artworks is definitely would be a win for me. Like if it just made someone engage more with this thing that felt unfamiliar with them before. Right. Right. Um, So, okay. So before we, before we wrap up, so you mentioned your favorite spread is the, uh, the seascapes, but is cats your favorite artist in the book or do you have a favorite artist in there as well? I mean, I would say I would say Cats is my favorite artist, and that the Seascapes is not my favorite palette. Okay. Um, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I love a lot of the artists in the book. Sure. sure. Uh, but there, I mean, a few that I don't know. Fernando Botero is one that has a really kind of like punchy tropical palette mm-hmm. in the book, and he is known for he's a Colombian artist painter who's known for painting people and objects in really exaggerated forms. It's, it's pretty recognizable. There's a very popular meme of his work. Um, <laughs> and uh, so definitely, I would say for the most part, like they're, they're, the palettes all revolve around artists who I really like for one reason yeah. or another. Yeah. I was kind of hoping you were going to say Dennis Rodman is your favorite artist because that, you know. He's, he's up there for sure. He's up there. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. pretty great. This is very cool. Um, Edith, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I really enjoyed the book. It was just a really nice read. Just enjoy all these colors. And um, and thanks so much for uh, yeah, thanks so much for taking some time out on an evening to chat with me. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you'll check out Edith's book. I hope you'll check out the other blog posts that I wrote where you can go get all those color palettes. If you would like to help support the show, you've got a little time now, maybe you've got a break in these last couple weeks of the year. If you'd like to support the show, head over to your favorite podcast provider, put in a review, put in a rating. If you'd like to support the show financially, head over to Patreon or Winnow, or you can even go to PayPal for a one-time donation to the show that helps me cover the editing and the transcription and all the good stuff that I need to bring this show to you every other week. So again, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great holiday season. Have a great new year. And until next time in 2023, this is the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.
A whole team helps bring you the Policy Viz podcast. Intro and outro music is provided by the NRIs, a band based here in Northern Virginia. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. But if you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Winnow app, PayPal page, or Patreon page, all linked and available at policyviz.com.